0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by MoFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. For more information, visit mofad.org.
0: I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network broadcasting live from bushwick brooklyn if you like this program visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more
2: And welcome to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Terkel, here today with Christina Gill of an amazing book, Tasting Rome. But even more amazing is, is your life and career. I've, I got the longest um, in-depth bio email from you when I said, I want to know a little bit more about you, where you came from, why you're interested in food, in photography. And uh, I don't know how many paragraphs it was, but it was like the length of an intro to uh this cookbook it was is really fascinating um because i've known your work and your career for quite some time through design sponge in the kitchen with grace bonnie um and i've admired your work and this is the whole package right here you not only get to photograph but you get to um profess your love of, of roman cuisine
3: yeah, it was um, the the introduction or the to answer the questions in your email. I confess I was in the airport, so I had <laughs> a lot of time to kill. Um, but yeah, I was really happy with the book because it does kind of combine everything. It's the recipe, the development of the recipes, and then the photography. And it was really, really fun.
2: Yeah, you were just telling me that this project kind of morphed. Uh, It changed. The proposal kind of took shape eventually, but it initially started because of cab rides.
3: Yeah. So for work, my regular job as a humanitarian food assistance advisor, I have to go to meetings, which are about an hour away from my office. And well, it's an hour there and an hour back. So I spent a lot of time in cabs and I'm always really curious to talk to people and I thought, well, what can I do um, to test whether or not it's true that Romans only eat their mother's cooking, for example, or their own city's cuisine. So I just started talking to cab drivers about recipes and over the course of two years or so, they gave me over 100 recipes. And I was sitting there looking at it and thought this would make a really... um, well, to me, I thought it would be an interesting cookbook. Uh, it wasn't interesting to the first person I pitched it to. Um, and then I broadened it to a Rome cookbook. And um, and still, it wasn't the right timing for Rome. People said, no, Rome isn't interesting. Rome books don't sell. And so I waited four years. And uh, in that time, I met Katie. And we kind of got together and made it what it is today. Mm. And then... It was just the right minute at the right time, the right time and the right place, sorry, for the book to take off.
2: Yeah. So you talk, you talk about these cab drivers. If you did this project in New York and asked those same people what they cooked at home or what they ate, um, it's so multi-ethnic here. Um, did you find that there were you know, generational natives in Rome?
3: The majority of the cab drivers in Rome are Roman, and that is why it was a good survey because you don't have many professions like that in Rome where the people are, you know, Roman, born and raised. Um, Some of the cab drivers in Rome are from Abruzzo nearby and they came in the 50s. So they've been in Rome for long 60 years, long enough to really have adapted their palate to Roman cooking. Um, and that's basically that's basically it. So ninety, I don't think I got any non-Roman. I may have gotten one non-Roman cab driver. was a very, very, very. Uh, I shouldn't call him very, very old. He was in his seventies from Turin. Yeah. And that was it. But everyone else was either from Roman Rome or Abruzzo.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, the definition, I think, of, of Cucina Romana is migrant. I mean, there were a lot of people that came from the poorer south uh, moving north and kind of established that, that city's cuisine over time. Um, what established your cuisine for you? I know you're a southern girl. Yes. Yeah. Very southern. Yeah, And you had gardens on one side. Rice roni, shake and bake.
3: <laughs> yes, you know I did. Pillsbury biscuits I had on the, the other. Best of the seventies <laughs> cuisine: goober and iceberg lettuce. What is goober? It's the jar. I think it might be by Smucker's. It's the jar oh, that has no. the peanut butter and the grape Already jelly. Mixed. Yeah, all yeah. in the spiral in the jar. Yeah, what,
2: what? efficiency!
3: I wasn't because my older brother. Um, I guess maybe as long as I can rem- remember, maybe until he moved out of the house, all he would eat was peanut butter and jelly. That's it. Yeah. He would eat nothing else. Breakfast, peanut butter and jelly. Lunch, peanut butter and jelly. Dinner, peanut butter and jelly. I guess having it all in one jar conserves space. We didn't eat that much goober, but yeah. sometimes we did have goober. Um, It's not, excuse me, it's not very good. Yeah. So.
2: But most of your family's cooking, or at least your father's, came from the backs of boxes and cans. <laughs> My
3: poor father, yes. It did. <laughs> We're not ragging on <laughs> him too much, but... He did his best. He did come, you know, his favorite from the canned salmon was the salmon, these salmon patties, and he was really enthusiastic about that. I think maybe there was like a, a Velveeta cheese box that had some sort of ground beef casserole that he made with, you know, green peppers, bell peppers and stuff in it. Um, but I guess I didn't really start... My own cooking. Oh, and I I also told you about my grandmother in the summers where we had to go um, to go gather fruit in the backyard. That was we were it was indentured slavery, I guess you could say (laughs) Um, the, the preserves that were made were good. Um, But I didn't really start my own cooking until uh, my last year at school. And I didn't have eggplant until my first year of graduate school when I was in Bologna. So, you know, I'm like, I was already like 22 before I'd ever had eggplant. So it's it's interesting to
2: have a new fruit or vegetable in your life this day and age because we get exposed to so much. But you went to Stanford not for a culinary degree at all.
3: No, no, no. I don't even know if they offer that. I mean, you know, things have changed since then. I don't want to date myself, but um they might offer it now, yeah. but probably
2: not. What what did you study going to college and then parlay into going to Florence?
3: Um I so I studied political science and the study abroad is really just a general um I think you could do art history, uh, political science with a European focus, um, in the Stanford and Florence Center. And I did a year of that one quarter in one year, and or and two quarters in another year. So sophomore and junior year, and then I went to graduate school at Johns Hopkins, SICE. So I did a year in Bologna, which was you know different cooking even then. So I had a, a family in Florence. The first family I stayed with, she really loved Thailand oddly enough. And I only ate Thai food when I stayed in Florence. And then when I moved to another family, they were Tuscan and grew, she grew up in a rural family. And so it was, her mother would give her the chicken from the farm, the chicken um, broth, which was really fat, fatty chicken broth, which is the best chicken broth ever. Um, And she was the best cook I've ever known. So I did, you know, learn a lot from her. And then in Bologna, I stayed with a the family there and learned some from from them and from other friends in Padova and around
2: yeah, it seems fascinating because book ended between these two study abroads. Um, you also started collecting cookbooks I did and educating yourself, yeah you know through that literature so what do you what were the cookbooks that you first bought, and what were those recipes you first cooked?
3: Um, I think the first book I really got into was flatbreads and flavors. And um, then I had an African cookbook because I wanted some Ethiopian food. And I got Flow Breakers, uh, The Art of Baking. And I think those may have been like the first ones I had. And then when I went that summer, I went to... Um, I was doing an internship at the State Department, and I was in a little gourmet food store and I met the a guy there whose name was phil Furstenberg and For some reason i 'm not exactly sure why he 's one of the nicest people I ever met. We were talking about baking and he 's like i 'm going to bring you something and A couple days later, I went back and he gave me Carol Fields, the Italian baker book and his father, it turned out I didn't know what Marvelous Market was then, but his father had learned to bake and he did a lot of time working with Carol Field and he started Marvelous Market in Washington, D.C. which people in that time I'm dating myself again (laughs) um, will know the significance of Marvelous Market uh, and he has since sold it, Um, but then I was really into baking and so I bought all of Carol Field's book, focaccia um, The she has um, I'm not sure what it's called, like an antipasti type book um and so i really started baking bread and then i you know got the nancy silverton book and i did my whole starter um and you know everyone who's started a starter knows what that's like and all my friends thought i was crazy traveling on the train with my little starter thing i was like i got to feed the starter oh, it's like a
2: pet yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a living breathing thing
3: <laughs> um, and i was making everything that i ate from scratch so um, that was, that was fun. I remember one time I burned some loaves of bread because I fell asleep and they stayed in the oven and I had them stacked in a bag outside of the front door. My friend thought I'd put my shoes in a bag outside, <laughs> outside the front door. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, that's when I started doing all the baking and I had all the baking tools, uh, for that. I got my stand mixer then. Um, yeah, I was just crazy cooking and really enjoying it. And then I got a job where I didn't have time anymore, so
2: yeah. I stopped. Well, I mean, eventually you stopped that job to pursue what you're doing today. is the anthropological study of, of food and culture. And what's awesome is you you bypassed the Food Network revolution. I did. You were overseas, so you're almost an autodidact in the sense that you taught yourself um, not only how to cook, but how to learn about cooking.
3: Yeah. I um, I think maybe on the very front end, so, I mean, this was something that I wrote to you about. When I left the United States in 1999, um, Great Chefs, Great Cities was on, um, HG- HGTV had just started, um, and I remember being really mad because I couldn't get it in my cable package, um, and uh, and there were no real TV celebrities back then. And it, they were cookbook celebrities. So you're really into the cookbooks. Baking with Julia came out then. Um, uh, Marcel Saunier was doing his Death by Chocolate and uh, Death by Chocolate Cake, I think. I have all of his books, too. Um, Nancy Silverton, Rose Levy Berenbaum, Lisa yokelson who was doing a column, I think, in the Washington Post also. But, you know, I looked forward every week to the food column in the Washington Post and joined the Cookbook of the Month Club and got the books and really just worked through them and and just had a really good time.
2: Yeah. I mean, working in these, uh, you know, embassies, these political and foreign affairs, did you position yourself saying, I want to go to Italy because I want to work in this field or because I want to learn more about Italian cuisine?
3: Um, it was actually neither. I think um, as... Sad as it may be, it's a practical decision when you go into the Foreign Service, they will only give you a limited amount of language training. And if you already have languages, they don't have to invest that money in you because when you have to have the language training, you're offline But they still need work done, so somebody else is doing the work. And I already had the Italian when I came in, so I tested at the highest level for a non-native speaker, so they were able to send me out. So it was not quite a a choice as food as much as, hey, I'm going to go live in Italy for three years. Then I picked back up with the food. Yeah,
2: I mean, did you feel like you had a predisposition for the cuisine, though? Uh, Having baked or maybe having had something in your past... That felt like Italian food.
3: Yeah, because I was only away after graduate school. Like maybe I was only away for like two years. So it was much like a continuation of being able to pick back up on, you know, cooking uh, pasta or making pasta or making pizza or things like that, pizza dough, things like that.
2: So when you decided to leave that behind and kind of venture forth in in, you know, these food studies... How did you make that transition, and what did you start doing? Did you did you start your cab interviews at that time? Ah,
3: no, it came a m- much later. So I got a, a different job. Um, I did some communications work for a bit, and then I got a different job in something that's actually the exact opposite of the type of food you and I do. Um, the humanitarian assistance aside is, you know, dealing with the bottom. poorest people in the world, and managing a portfolio that ensures that um, my employer's money gets to the right people when they need it in response to an emergency crisis. So you would have had. Uh, Tropical Storm, Winston, uh, just now in Fiji. uh, When you had the earthquake in Nepal, you have these things going on, DRC, Chad. um, And we're sending humanitarian assistance there. So that's the sad side of food. It's also the realistic side of food. And then at the same time, for fun, um, I was on the fun side of food, which is the design sponge part and uh, making cakes and things like that. It was fun, yeah. Well, I
2: mean, I also think it's fascinating that Largely embedded within Roman cuisine is Cucina povera, which is the food of the poor. So, I mean, you got to see that internationally uh, through this, in a sense, disaster relief.
3: Yeah. I mean, I guess I wouldn't really put them in the same category because I think it's almost... uh, This is going to be a pretty heavy way to say it, but I also think it's kind of... You have to be really careful talking about you know we 're sitting here at roberta 's in a first world country with this luxury food and putting it together with those type of poor people who oftentimes, if they don 't have assistance from world food program, they just don 't eat yeah um, so I, I really do keep it separately, but it also makes me appreciate much more um, being able to work with food and have that what I consider a luxury to work with food and to choose what to eat and when to eat it
2: well we're going to take a quick break come back and talk about in the kitchen with which is kind of the amazing um you know juncture where you got to do exactly that you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org we'll be right back
1: Hi, This is Peter Kim, the executive director of MOFAD, the museum of food and drink. We're a nonprofit founded by Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues here on the Heritage Radio Network, and we want to take people on a learning adventure through the world of food. We just opened MOFAD Lab, our gallery space at 62 Bayard Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where we are currently showing flavor, making it and faking it. Flavor features some very cool sensory interaction. Flavor tablets deliver tastings of vanilla and umami. And the Willy Wonka-inspired smell synth lets you compose over half a million different flavors. So come on by and visit MoFad Lab. We're open five days a week, and tickets are $5 for kids and $10 for adults. Learn more about the Museum of Food and Drink at mofad.org.
2: Hey, and welcome back to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan. Harlan See, I screwed up my own name. <laughs> um, with Christina Gill of Tasting Room. Um, in the Kitchen With, which... I've been lucky enough to at least be a part of once or twice. I, my, my memory fails me, Real but pizza. yeah, that's what it was. The, the preserved lemon jalapeno smoked mats. Um, was one of my favorite things about Design Sponge. And there are a lot. You know, I I love Grace, and we miss her dearly on the station. But I obsessively, maybe like you did for WAPO and those uh, cookbook clubs, waited for the next edition of In the Kitchen With to come out. Um, How did that project start? And how lucky did you feel being able to talk to those people and and get those recipes?
3: Um, I think, well, it came came about because Grace and I were... um, how do you say, virtual pen pals. We are friends online, as happens today. There are a lot of um, really good work relationships created online. Um, and I was just coming up with ideas. I mean, not affiliated with the site at all in any way, and just said, hey, how come um, or why don't you have a column that has the recipes of your favorite creative professionals? And she said, that's a great idea. Why don't you do it? And I started to do it. And it's evolved a lot since then um, in the beginning you know we had camilla engman um lena corwin has been on several times um and people were doing their own drawings and own photography and it was really um it was really personal in that sense and when we uh had to transition to kind of keep the content and the visuals the same across the across the site, then I had to start had to start learning more about photography and I had to learn to shoot it myself. And so that's how the photography side of it started.
2: Yeah. Luckily, there was this guy named Matt Bites at the time. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah Matt. And I had already um, been friends um, or I had made friends with Matt. And he's like, OK, why don't you come out to my studio and I'll help you? So I flew out to Long Beach two years in a row. Um, and we worked through things in the studio and I absorbed a lot and I kept working. And, you know, even to this day, if I get stuck on something, he will send me a diagram and say, okay, light it this way, or, you know, put your scrim here or, uh, flags here. And so he's still, uh, very, very present in my life. I mean, he's my best friend. Yeah. So, So, I mean, all this
2: gave you a template for Tasting Room in in a way that I don't feel like, uh. You know, so many people are unprepared doing their their first cookbook, and you were just wholly prepared for this thing. Very much. So ready. Um, How did you start, and who did you go to? Because what's amazing is it's not only recipes about Roman food, um, it is the best people making that roman cuisine at the time it's contemporary
3: yeah so for tasting rome um obviously i had a visual idea of what i wanted because a lot of that was from those cab rides across rome where i go through the center of rome and then get out to the periphery which i consider you know the real rome not the beautiful postcard images but you know really where most Romans live. And I wanted something that was kind of gritty in the photography. Um, and, um, in the food, I think, you know, once someone has a style of photography, it that's what it is so the food is shot in my style um but for the recipes it actually worked really good very complimentary because i developed recipes you know i did half half of that and developed the recipes and katie has a really really strong knowledge of all of the restaurant owners and people doing the food and so she was able to get recipes from these people for her half of the book and you know she is out eating and she knows where the best exemplars are of carbonara gricha, cacio pepe so she knew exactly where to go to get those recipes Isn't that all Esquielde? Uh, <laughs> well uh Katie has very clear views on that. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Like yeah. what what the best dish is um in each category and I think the rocholi is the matriciana in mm. the book. Yeah. And um yeah, that's that's the one that she wanted in the book and so we've got that there. It's so
2: funny, those those four pastas that we just mentioned are such slight iterations of each other, but they're so distinctly different. Yeah,
3: very different. So your carbonara has egg but your gricha doesn't and uh the cachoe pepe she has there and um you know, I, for me, and, you know, this is a defect of mine, I really think you need three arms to do the cacio e pepe to really do it right. Yeah. Um, you know, to keep the spoon going, to get everything creamy. But uh, people have been having a lot of success with the recipe, so.
2: Yeah. No, I'm certainly making cacio e pepe is one of my favorite, And we have the cacio e pepe and carbonara revolution, where it, it finds itself outside of just that pasta dish. Mm. You know, people are cacio e pepe-ing things.
3: Yes, everything. Yeah. The soupli, which we have in the book. Um, Sandwiches—they have something on the menu here. I thought it was a cacio pepe, yeah. but it wasn't under the pizza column. I, I wouldn't doubt it. I yeah. can't remember what it was. You know, it was really
2: interesting. The soupli, which I think is one of the first recipes in the book, is in a sense a uh, rice croquetta mm. You know, and I didn't realize how little rice is in Roman cuisine.
3: Yeah, there's almost no rice. Yeah. Like almost none, and I always tell people who come to Rome and they look at on a menu and they're like, "Ah, oh, I want a risotto," and I'm like, "Okay, Rome is not the place to eat that. Yeah, uh, so focus on something else." So
2: what what are the things to eat in Rome? What what are those exemplars?
3: Uh, well, uh, obviously I, your holy. If it's not a Trinity, what is it? If it's four, what is it? A holy. I don't know how you say four. You have qu- Quattro. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Those four p- four pasta Quartets. dishes. Yeah. yeah. If you like uh, offal um, which I call it awful, um, I'll make you change that. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, awful. Uh, you should really taste that um, pizza. Mm. Uh, is a good thing to try because you know the difference between Roman pizza and Neapolitan pizza, and that is another topic that's very near and dear to Katie's heart. So yeah. you'll find her talking a lot about the difference and pizzas um and uh i think just a a lot of i'm a big fan of just tasting around when you go to new places and new cuisines tasting new things so i would definitely say those pasta dishes some pizza dishes um gelato uh and um you know maybe some of the local wines from the area because those are things that each place you go has different wine
2: yeah what I love is that there 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 are newer iterations of very classic dishes in here, and one of my favorites is mozzarella in carrozza. Um, and you have Gabrielle Bianchi blew that up and made an indulla in carrozza, which yes. sounds like the greatest grilled cheese of all time.
3: It is. It is. So after I did... All the fried stuff in the book, I um, strategically put my fryer at a friend's house and I left (laughs) it and I have not picked it up in a year because I don't want to fry it. But that mozzarella and uh, induja is, you know, it's two slices of mozzarella with the smear of induja in between the slices. Which Um, is a
2: Calabrian spreadable salami. Spicy.
3: And you can put as little or as much. I recommend a lot. And then it's deep fried and it is so, so good good and I almost in developing and testing would mess it up on purpose so I'd have to do another <laughs> batch so I could eat more yeah
2: yeah uh, you know on the cover of this book there there are those fried um, you know uh, squash blossoms which I for one have never been in love with but just looking at this and reading this headnote I'm, I'm more than willing to give another chance and why is that the cover why is that emblematic of Rome
3: the publisher Aaron had a very, very clear idea in his head what he wanted for the cover. And, you know, sometimes people have different, you know, you try to get to a solution. Are we going to do a line drawing? Are we going to do this? What sums up Rome? And that was it it was either the fried ones or um, pan fried with mozzarella inside, and actually they almost chose the pan fried with mozzarella image, and I did a behind the scenes on design sponge where I show the other image, but that 's what he wanted yeah. and, uh, and I think it came out really great oh it 's stunning,
2: and again, having been to Rome a few times, this feels like Rome right here yeah. from, from the palate too you can almost you can almost smell that too you know Rome has this distinct Odor is the wrong word. I mean, in certain areas, maybe the Colosseum, um, <laughs> that's special. But it has this. It emanates of these beautifully fried fresh things, which I always found fascinating because you're taking the the greatest like spring blossoms off of the squash and then frying them to to only you know, amplify their flavor
3: or putting them on pizza. It's a very delicate flavor. Yeah. Um, But I I think it's interesting that you say about the odors in a positive sense, because one of my favorite things to do is to walk through, you know, narrow streets or in residential neighborhoods around lunchtime, mid morning, 10 o'clock, because you can still smell the preparation for the lunch and you can smell you know what the sofrito that mm. the people are doing and you know my husband and i will walk around and we'll smell and say oh it smells like they're having um you know roast chicken for dinner or for for lunch or the, today they're having uh peas and veal for lunch because you can smell the odors and it's yeah. really our dream is to just knock on somebody's door and say can we come up for lunch
2: yeah no, Have you not done that yet?
3: I, I feel did, like that's your
2: next book Okay, I yeah. did
3: do that <laughs> and I did that with this old man In a park when I was shooting for the book And he said Okay let me call my wife and I'll bring you over And my husband pulled me back And he was like you cannot go over to a stranger's house for lunch And I was like why not? He just invited me <laughs> Yeah so I didn't get to go. No, I, I feel like Rome
2: may seem closed door when you're walking through these things because you don't see a lot of people on the street during lunchtime because they're in eating with their family. I think they'd be so welcoming.
3: I'm going to try that yeah. the next time I go. And I when I do, I will let you know about it. Yeah.
2: I mean, my people, the Jewish quarters, um, I feel like I can get away with walking in there a little bit easier. But again, with that with that smell in the air, what I love about that area is... is all the vinegar. You know I'm a vinegar nut. Yeah. But a lot of the things, a lot of the fish have uh, uh, yeah, the strong vinegar. vinegar to them. Or what is the dish you have in the book with the... The concha. Yeah. Uh, with the that's fried, fried and then... Fried marinated zucchini. Yeah. Yeah. And you smell this like... Uh, kind of sweet and sour in the air in that Mm. area which is just it's bewilderingly amazing
3: yeah um that is a really good dish um to put on a sandwich for example and i think maybe uh i can't remember but i think uh, katie does recommend that uh on that recipe to try it out as a sandwich
2: yeah well porchetta obviously can be had on its own but it's is i feel like a very um emblematic sandwich of Rome itself. Very
3: much so, because the Aricia, the area right outside of Rome, is you hear the porchetta di Aricia, and that's really um, where it comes from, the Rome, I guess the Castelli area. Um, We have the recipe for Vito Bernabé in there to make the roast pork at home. And I can tell you, because we made the roast pork, it is so good. And you should have seen us in the studio really picking over all, especially the crispy bit. Yeah, bits. yeah.
2: yeah it's really good. You know, what's perfect for this time is uh, the artichokes, peas, fava. How do you say that term?
3: The viñarola.
2: Yeah, it's such a beautiful thing just on its own. It's a stew of spring vegetables. Yeah. But as pasta, I, I can, exactly. it's just an amazing, amazing thing that I feel like signifies not only this, this birth of spring cuisine but it really feels like rome at its at, at its core it
3: is and it's funny because when we did that recipe in the studio i'm a big uh, advocate of peeling your fava beans twice so we could keep it really brilliant green and uh, adam pearson the food stylist said okay yes and then you boil your salad as you do <laughs> and he came home the next day he said that was the absolute best pasta condiment i have ever had in my life so i think if people do try it make a bunch Mm -hmm. And have leftover for pasta And it's really good Yeah, I know It's funny going
2: to the green market And picking over these things And like, oh, I can They're very temporal I'm going to serve them tonight No, this is something that you want to stow away And have spring all year round Yeah, yeah (laughs) Another amazing recipe um, Is Bruta ma The little cookies. But, uh, again, another thing I think that exemplifies Roman cuisine is, is this term, ugly but delicious. Because sometimes you see these shapes, sometimes you see these colors, and it's just this kind of mishmash of things that that blows your mind how, how distinctly different everything tastes and the flavor combinations. And these little cookies, you know, at the end of a meal, still carry that sense of, you know, everything it. Is at its peak, everything is its best, and everything is just beautiful as it is.
3: They're, yeah, I like the cookies because they are really, um, we did them with hazelnuts, they're just really good flavor explosions. And I actually personally don't think they're particularly ugly, um, but uh, that's the name for a, or a lot of cookies that don't have a particular form or shape yeah um and i really do i like those cookies as well i mean i know i sound like i'm biased there are some things like uh tripe that i'm not a big fan <laughs> of um but generally i can't say 90 percent uh 99 except for the tripe in the in the book i don't like tripe yeah. it's really good yeah and yeah. i'm not saying that because i'm biased i just really had a, f- a good time eating the the food in the book
2: guanciale we'll end with this is it better than
3: bacon um, it has its place. So, um, Very judicious of you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has its place. I, I, no, I, I think they're all from the same family, and, you know, pork is pork, and when it's crispy, when it's good, it's good.
2: But Asienda Agricola Finelli, they make the best one.
3: The guanciale, yes. That is Katie's A-plus for, for them, yes. Yeah,
2: so if someone wants to go to Rome... And Christina's not available to take you around to other people's houses to eat lunch This is the book to get It is such a wonderful map of not only where to go But how to understand what you're having You must be very proud.
3: I am very proud. And uh, we've had a lot of good response. And yeah, I think that uh, the publisher did a really great job of putting the photos together in the book and just made it really unique um, for a lot of the books that are out right now in spring. It's got a unique layout. And I am super proud and really, really, really happy.
2: Yeah. So Rome wasn't built in the day. And please just don't go to Rome for 24 hours and eat. You you need to spend a lifetime there. So get Tasting Room. Check out Christina's work as well. Wonderful website and in the kitchen with on Design Sponge. Always a favorite of ours. Um, So many cool things going on and I'll see you for lunch in Rome sometime soon. Okay.
3: Thank you and you're always welcome.
2: (laughs) Thank you. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host Michael Harlan Turkel. Hope to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big thanks to MoFad for sponsoring. uh, Museum of Food and Drink is right down the street from our studio and is a must check out music by cookies as always and david engineering thank you again